Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. We're coming to you live from New Zealand, from Mount Monganui, as we build up to England's first test against the Black Caps. Remember, every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. We'll hear on this show from England head coach Brenda McCullum, as well as England's greatest ever bowlers, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. Ollie Robinson discusses the difference between a pink ball and the red one ahead of the day-night test match. And we'll also hear an exclusive interview with England opener Ben Duckett. We'll look at the hosts who've been dealt a double blow ahead of this week's first test. And we'll look back at a dominant win for India against Australia in the first Border Gavaskar test match. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Tommy and I are sitting in our commentary box at uh, the Bay Oval in Mount Monganui. Um, it's been a very, very interesting couple of days, Harmy, with uh, Cyclone Gabriel petering out, I think, before it reached us, after we'd stocked up on three days of food. We're sitting here looking at uh, an oval which looks like it has been gently watered and not had a monsoon of rain on it for three days. What a pleasure to be here. It is. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And to be honest, a lot of places, a lot of cricket grounds around the world, we probably wouldn't have played for a week with the amount of rain we've just had. And this, you know, if you asked that, walking around it a little bit earlier, we mentioned it would be, honestly, I'd be upset to hit a nine iron off the top of the surf, off the top of the turf. I'd, I'd probably most, a lot of Parkland's courses in the summer wouldn't have greens as good as the outfield at Mount Monganui. It is. It looks absolutely beautiful. You've got to get full value for your shots if you uh, you hit one through the field on, on this surface because you know, even though it is a big ground, um, I would imagine it'll run very, very fast. And The mount is in the background. New Zealand players are about to uh, come on and take their practice. 
And we're getting closer. You know, we've been here for nearly a week now. It feels as though we've been here for a fortnight. Well, to be fair, I've been cycloned in with Sam Ellard for two days. It feels like I've been in there for a week. Um, so it has been, it's been a great experience coming over. We're sitting in the commentary box looking at a green surface. It is glowing. It is, it is. It's luminous green, the surface two days out. England, I fully expect them to pick their three seamers who will probably lick their lips in Broad Anderson and Robinson to take the field on uh, on Thursday afternoon um, and I think we're all waiting for we are all ready for what is going to be I would say an exciting two test matches Tell you what's been really interesting as well is talking to all the locals about Brendan McCullum and we've known ever since he was appointed as England's test captain that um, New Zealanders are very proud of him but you know I was speaking to Tim Southey um, and he said that uh, that they had they enjoyed Brendan McCullum as captain. They enjoyed his creativity, his out-of-the-box thinking. And, you know, it's almost like they're so proud of him that they're happy for another team to get the benefit of his foresight and um, his sort of revolutionary thinking. And let's hear from Brendan McCullum. He was talking a little bit earlier this week. In any job that you do, right, you want to have fun. Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? I think, you know, we get one crack at life and you've got some skills in something and you've got some aspirations and dreams in it. Why would you not want to try and live those out and, and have a smile on your face while you're doing it. Test cricket in particular is such a difficult game and and these guys have got so many options around the world now as well that it's not just about having fun on the field, it's about being able to create some memories and, and relationships and friendships which last well beyond um, your cricketing careers and that's that's how I like to view this, this time that we've got as a team and it's not always going to be rosy, but the one thing you can do is keep bringing that same sort of positive attitude and, and belief and, and keep trying to look after one another and enjoy yourself. Brilliant stuff, Brendan McCullum, uh, talking about just having fun. It um, didn't sound particularly believable when he first said that that was the basis of his coaching philosophy, but everybody else has endorsed it now. And just before we hear from you, Harmy, this is what Stuart Broad said um, about the effect that McCullum's philosophy has had on him and the other players. Baz has got a great mentality for the group and life really just making sure that memories are a very important thing of of playing for England because you can quite easily let uh, your England career sort of pass you by by thinking about pressure and and results and performances all the time whereas actually we're really fortunate to come to some wonderful places and you know open your eyes and, and enjoy what's there to to be seen. Stuart Broad um, I mean he's at the stage of his career now having just become a father when um, he can enjoy it and treat every test match like it's going to be his last but it's the younger players as well you know I mean when you were playing test cricket you know it was a sort of matter of life and death. It's amazing to watch guys like Harry Brook walk out there and and actually follow instructions and have fun. It is it's, it's, a, it's a breath of fresh air to be honest I think I've seen Brendan McCollum smile more times between lunch and tea than I did Duncan Fletcher in eight years playing for him. But yeah, sorry, Duncan, that's another dig at him. So, but no, it's just it was it was just a different world, a different game. Nasser Hussain, can you imagine Nasser Hussain and Brendan McCollum? It's like the recipe for disaster. The two of them would just clash all the time. Um, played in a different way, understand the game differently. Not one was right, not one was wrong. Um, but the sign of the times has changed. The outlook of cricket has changed. Young players not playing warm-up games. They're, they're going straight into test matches, going straight into international cricket because the amount of cricket they're playing around the world it is a breath of fresh air. And when Tim Southey talks so positively about Brendan McCullum, it, it's because Brendan McCullum met a lot of these players. Brendan McCollum give 
a lot of these players their careers and not just because he picked them in the team but he nurtured them he helped them he mentored them and he you know pushed them down an avenue which was to enjoy what you've got enjoy your playing international cricket you know express yourself the best best person you possibly can be not too dissimilar to somebody who retired not long you know this this very very week in when you look at what Owen Morgan did for English cricket and a lot of these England players, it's not too dissimilar to what Brendan McCullum did for the, the, the whole host of superstars that New Zealand have got that took them to the World Test Championship. That was a lot, largely down to the leadership qualities of Brendan McCullum. So both countries who are going to play in this game have benefited from having the expertise and the, the mindset of the England coach. Um, and I think both groups will be very, very thankful for that time they had with Brendan McCollum. But he's now with England, and you, you make mention Stuart Broad. He said during the week that he thought his career was over when it came to the West Indies. Him and Jimmy, England were trying to push them out the side door. And now, a lot of question marks, would they ever play again for England? Especially overseas. <clears throat> Nobody would ever dreamt that Broad and Anderson would play together overseas. Well, looking at the wicket manners, I can guarantee that Broad and Anderson... I tell you what, if you think Stuart Broad was upset when he got left out at Hampshire a few years ago in COVID, when he went on Sky and had that rant, if Brendan McCullum leaves him out or Ben Stokes leaves Stuart Broad out of this, I think Stuart Broad might retire because he will be the unhappiest camper ever to not play on what wicket we're seeing, what, 48 hours out. So... And that, that's testament to Broad and Anderson who are desperate to just play and the love, the, the, love the, the challenge of trying to take the bar to a whole new level. McCollum has done it, Stokes has done it and Broad and Anderson are still doing it. I think it's brilliant for English cricket. I just want to confirm for the benefit of our listeners who can't see it that uh, you were talking about the outfield being luminous green. Um, I mean, the actual playing, the, the wicket, we are 48 hours away from the start of the test match but it is glowing like the centre of a nuclear reactor <laughs> it's just luminous green it's like it's got a high vis on it's like it is it's it's got well it's one of them security high vis jackets on it you've got a lot of green grass around it nicely fresh mowing there's a few bare areas and then there's a and it just seems as though that when you sometimes when you have an international venue you have security watching the wicket and when you're at lunchtime at tea time it now looks as though there's got a bloke with a reflector on either side with a luminous green high-vis jacket glowing down the wicket no they're not there it is the wicket this is what we're going to play on if broad anderson or robinson don't play together on this then i'll be very very surprised okay well i, I mean I, I would imagine that uh, you know you could get a tennis ball to seem on on this on this <laughs> surface but jimmy anderson spoke a couple of days ago we'll hear from him a little bit later but he was talking about not being particularly convinced by the pink ball. And then let's hear from Ollie Robinson as well, because he's saying that it was more difficult to bowl with the pink ball than a red one. We've been trying a lot the last week or so to, to get the pink ball moving. It's proved challenging. It's not very consistent. It's not like the, the, red, the red ball dupes or Cookborough that which swing for a little bit and you can shine them. This has got sort of another layer of lacquer on it and it's really hard to shine and really hard to keep swinging. So... There's definitely going to be different challenges, um, but we've got the attack, the attack bowling-wise, and obviously the batters are whacking at the moment, so we've got them as well. It's Ollie Robinson um, just talking about bowling with the pink ball, which is going to be used in the day-night test match. I have to say that the majority of our listeners um, won't have bowled much with a pink ball. I don't know how much you did, but they will not understand the concept of it's a cricket ball. 
Why is it more difficult to bowl with it? We're not talking about how it comes out of the hand. We're talking about how to maintain it or how... I don't know. What what are they talking about? Why is the pink ball more difficult? Yeah, it just seems as though it's more difficult to maintain. I think it, if it gets when it gets wet, it, it balloons a little bit more and goes softer quickly. It's a kookaburra. I just think the feel of it doesn't seem doesn't seem right. I'm with I'm with Ollie Robinson and and and, um, and Jimmy Anderson. There's a lot of talk when when we come off a bad light. Well, the simple solution is to play with a pink ball, but it's what pink ball you play with. And can they get the pink ball right? I'm not sure they get the, the Dukes ones right. I'm convinced, and I go by what the, the the experts, which is the players, Anderson, Broad, Robinson, who have spoke about it this week, they don't like playing it. And you'd think that, yeah, let's be fair, you'd think the pink ball would do a little bit more, would swing a little bit more. Broad, Robinson, Anderson would just clap their hands. But they don't like it. And I can understand why they don't like the gimmick of it. When you look at it in the grand scheme of things, man, as we were at Hamilton a couple of days ago when the lights came on for the first time, they came on at half seven, it was bright sunshine, didn't need to come on. It took effect probably about 20 past, half past eight, game was finished by nine o'clock, so there's only half an hour really the lights took proper effect. So that's in New Zealand. In England, if you had a day night test match in England, middle of the summer, don't get dark till 10 o'clock, so it defeats the object for me. Um, there are countries where you probably do, i.e. India, Pakistan, the subcontinent, and Asia, where there are a limited spell of daylight. I can understand that you might need to go down the route for that. But I think while you've got natural sunlight, the best ball is to use as the red one, and I don't see any reason why we're not using it. And it's reading the room for me. You go, you go on reactions. I'm not having too many players say it's a good thing this pink ball so if the players are telling you it's not a good thing then listen to them because that in theory is the they're the ones that make the difference they're the ones that accounts and they're the ones that are there to entertain and if your entertainer can't play with an instrument that he's he's been given then if you want entertained hopefully you can change it so over 60 years since uh, the first man landed on the moon Harmy I'm sure they'll get the pink cricket ball right I'm sure they will but we shouldn't be doing it in international cricket. We had a chance. I've played in a couple of games for the MCC, against the MCC and the champions in Abu Dhabi, and it wasn't bad. You know, he got a chance of a lie-in in the morning, start at <laughs> two o'clock. So you, when the day's play finished, you could have a couple of beers with a, a view that you didn't have to get out of bed till half eleven. But that's if that's the only good thing that you, you as a bowler, you can think of, then you, then it needs changing. To be honest. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2, live from Mount Munganui with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Steve Harmison as we build up to Talksport 2's live and exclusive coverage of the first test between New Zealand and England, which starts on Thursday. A moment ago, Steve Harmison and I are sitting in the commentary box, um, and we're about two floors up in what is basically a very comfortably converted shipping container on scaffolding um, and it's two floors up and suddenly out of nowhere uh, a window cleaner appeared to clean a commentary box window which was very good of him but it caught us a little bit by surprise okay Harmy, let's just get straight into it and hear from ben duckett who was talking a little bit earlier today with our very own sam ellard ben nearly there first test nearly upon us you've had some some golf some warm-up matches and there's been a lot of rain how are you and the boys shaping up for that first test match yeah, good, I think. We've had, obviously, a good time. I missed out on the week in Queenstown, which I heard was great. Yeah, obviously slightly different with the weather kicking around, but, um, yeah, the facilities in the tent are great. So, 
um, yeah, I think we're all raring to go now. And just for you on the last couple of months, you know, getting yourself back into the test team, what was it like coming into this exciting group of players and how did you think you went on a personal level in Pakistan? No, even better than I thought. I knew it was going to be great being a part of this group and under Stokesy and Baz, but I can't even say how, how great this environment is, how relaxed it is. Um, it, yeah, it's so enjoyable to be around and you're, you're able to be yourself and, and you know, more importantly, out in the middle, you're allowed to go and go and play the way you want to play. So it's, um, it's a pretty special group to be a part of. Yeah, and speaking to some of the players this week even, everyone's saying there's still so much more to come from this England team. You know, the bats been got more runs to score. They want to take the game to another level in terms of how quickly they're scoring their runs. Do you sort of feel the same? Yeah, I mean, we'd do well to go better than day one in Pakistan, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually more simple than people probably think. You know, we don't spend a lot of time sitting down talking about it. Um, it's generally just go out there with freedom and, and enjoy yourself. And yeah, I think obviously this pink ball and, and the conditions, you know, might be suited to going harder, actually. I think, you know, sometimes when it's tricky, I think you'll maybe see us go even harder. Yeah, and it's just an ex- it's going to be a really exciting series. Obviously, you know how how New Zealand are going to go about it. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. But um, yeah, we're all looking forward to it. And there's some quite high-profile bowlers not playing in this first Test match for New Zealand, either injury or or not available. And what are you then expecting from New Zealand in terms of of their pace attack? Yeah, t- uh, to be honest, we're we're pretty focused on us. You know, most of the guys have have played against a lot of them, so. Yeah, generally we don't really spend too much time thinking about the opposition. You know, whoever comes out for New Zealand, we know that they're going to be a good team. Um, we know the bowlers are going to be tough. But yeah, it's more about trying to make us ready and, and, and focusing on how we're going to go about it. And every test match is always important, but with the Ashes series just a couple of months away, is there sort of even more pressure on, on some of the guys at the top of the order to, to score runs in this series and deliver? I'll leave that down to you guys. But <laughs> no, not for us, to be honest. You know, it's... Um, we're just looking forward to it. Um, yeah, obviously it's going to be an exciting summer, um, but you know we've got to we've got to go, go and win the games here first. Um, you know we started off very well this winter in Pakistan, and, and this will be a different challenge. So there's certainly no pressure on guys to go and do well. I think they're we're pretty set with the squad right now. You know things can change, but um, yeah, the way that Stokesy leads that, it's you know more about enjoying yourself as opposed to putting pressure on yourself. England opened to Ben Duckett, um, and what an amazing 12 months it's been, Harmy. He was at, apparently nowhere near the England team a year ago, um, and he admitted that uh, he still harboured ambitions, um, although they were tempered by his lack of contact for five years. Um, he he harboured ambitions just to play in one format, and here he is playing in all of them. Yeah, it's how quickly the, the world changed, I think. I think largely down to himself, and I think you've got to give him full credit for that. Um, that's the way I look at it. I think three years ago, I'd say Ben Duckett was still one of the still one of the best players in county cricket, and I've said that last year, and I would said that the year before that, in the space of the last three years, he would have been on my tip of my tongue, picking sides, but I'd have questioned attitude. I'd have questioned, you know, the way he either lived life or the way he went about his daily business possibly was why he was averaging 35 not getting the scores that he should have got into a few scripts from there sometimes sometimes you learn the hard way I did I was I'm not going to hear casting explosions against Ben Duckett because I was (laughs) I was terrible sometimes but sometimes you learn the hard way and when sometimes you get asked questions about your attitude and try to change your lifestyle and look at yourself in the mirror more than anything else it happens quicker for you 
It really does, and I think that's probably what's happened to Ben Duckett, so I'm pleased for him, because he's he possibly has had a light-on moment where he has looked himself in the mirror and gone, that probably wasn't the best decision I made. That wasn't the best decision I made, and that and I've and I had this look in the mirror a few times, looking at me, going, "That definitely wasn't the best decision you ever made." <laughs> but you learn quickly from that, and I think because of that, Ben, in the last twelve to eighteen months, has turned himself into a, a, a more consistent player, a more professional player, and he's reaping the rewards from it now. And that, yeah, you know, sometimes a penny drops a little bit later, and for me, they're the ones that survive the most because. You know, they've been through a bit of a bad time they've questioned themselves but they've worked it out for themselves they haven't had to be told what to do they haven't had to be spoon fed everything he's had to work hard for to get to build his reputation back and boy now he's in all three formats and he's got a chance of potentially walking out middle of June first test match Edge Baston against Josh Hazelwood Michael Stark Pat Cummins in an Ashes series good for you boy I really am I like them stories I really do like them stories rather than somebody who just gets it easy goes through motions you know, doesn't always doesn't always care about you know, what's happening on the outside and then when they do hit a bit of a bad spell they don't know how to come through the other side of it when you do sometimes look at yourself in the mirror and you, you have had a few mistakes I think you rectify them quicker in the game situation when the pressure's on so I'm pleased for Ben in that, that respect Talking of great stories one that's been rumbling on for 20 years now and it gets better and better is Jimmy Anderson Ph- phenomenal um, let's just hear from, from him in the build up to the test The way I see the guys practice in the nets the talent is just phenomenal really it's, it's difficult to, to explain how amazing the talent we've got is and I think that that talent coupled with the hunger that the guys have got to try and improve uh, and the, the work ethic they bring every day to, to practice, I think you know, those two things married together, I think that we can only get better from here. Some of the younger guys in particular, you know, like Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope, Harry Brook, you know, there's no ceiling for them. They can be as good as they want to be. You know, if they keep putting the work in, keep training hard, they, they, they want to learn all the time. They're talking to the senior players, the likes of Joe Root, the likes of Ben Stokes, trying to... Um, improve their game all the time and uh, if they keep doing that then I'm sure that you know they can be as good as they want to be. The one and only Jimmy Anderson um, says that uh, this team can get better and better. He mentions the younger players. Um, he's referring to Ben Duckett of course and Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope. It, it is staggering to, to think that, that England a year or two or a couple of, couple of years, 18 months ago, the England selectors, the, the hierarchy felt that they needed to push Anderson and, and Broad out. They needed to move on needed to succession plan and, and, and now that seems to be happening but alongside Broad and Anderson so you can you can still develop and, and concentrate and help the next generation I guess because there's so much cricket you don't need to push the proven match winners out yeah I 100% agree with that and when you, you look at and a lot's been mentioned in the build up to this about Broad and Anderson coming into the team largely down I'm obviously I'm in New Zealand and it was it was me and Hoggy who were the ones that uh, the Broad and Anderson took their place. In one-day cricket, I didn't play one-day cricket. Hoggy didn't play one-day cricket. Broad and Anderson were excellent for a year. And they, were, they were probably had to wait a little bit longer than they, they needed to to get into the team when they, when they first came on the scene. 
largely down to the fact that the, the team were bowling quite well. Everything was going going nicely. We had just won the Ashes in 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 '05. We had re, you know we'd given them away again in, in six seven, but me and Hoggy were going all right. Um, and then all of a sudden, it was the right time for Broad and Anderson to come into the series after the, in the second Test match here in 2008, I think it was. And I think England tried that with Mahmood and, and Fisher in the West Indies. And I think it quickly dawned on them that this is not the right thing to do. Can you have Broad and Anderson alongside the likes of Mahmood, Fisher and, and players like that? Because it will benefit you in the long run having that. Remember, you know, in that in that time, going back all them years, Jimmy was always around. Brody was around. You know, we had just come from Sri Lanka where Brody made his debut, and you learn quicker. And then it was the right time. It might have took them a little bit time to to finally kick us out, these two old old fogies out. But once they did, there were there, it was it was. And, and Jimmy spoke about it during the week when he said. You know, how much confidence they got from the fact that him and Stuart got the responsibility to replace two bowlers who had won the Ashes, who had played for a long period of time. And they took the mantle on and moved it to a whole new level from from that point of view. And, and when I look at it now, there's nobody even close to still taking Jimmy's place. Jimmy still is the number one. I you know, spoke about it from an Ashes point of view. A broad, I mean, Archer and... Archer and Wood might be fit for the Ashes, but if Archer and fit for the Ash, ready for the Ashes, for me Australia should be more worried about Anderson than they should be about Wood and Archer because what Pierce gives you, Pierce gives you, make, does funny things to batsman's technique, it does funny things to bat, batsman's hands and heads movement um, and decision making. Now, if you've got brought, if you've got Anderson at the other end, Jimmy Anderson's biggest thing for me is if you've got a poor technique or if you've got a hole in your technique or if you're not you know, fully with your technique or your movements Jimmy will exploit that so not only do I think because Wood and Archer will be fit for fit, fit for, the, for the Ashes I still think Jimmy Anderson will be the main man come Australia and that sounds ridiculous because I think halfway through that series he'll turn 41 and that's a testament to him, a testament to this this group and this side. And I think when people look at the way this side's going at this minute in time, they came out a week early. They went to Queenstown for a for a game of golf. They basically had a jolly, they had a nice holiday, they had a good time. Everybody thinks, oh, they're, you know, they're having the best time of their lives. Their coach is coming out and going, we want to make memories and we want to be, you know, having fun. Well, the one thing I will say, you can have all that, but these guys are working hard because if they weren't working hard there's nowhere in the world in the first test match in Mount Monganui with a 37 year old and a 40 year old open a bowling for England and that for me tells you that this side are having fun but they're working extremely hard Well of course England have won 9 of their last 10 test matches and uh, you can see if they can make it 10 out of 11 um, as we bring you live an exclusive ball by ball commentary of the first test uh, from Mount Monganui right here on TalkSport 2. Our coverage gets underway at midnight on Thursday. Um, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll focus on the hosts who've suffered two significant blows ahead of the week's first test. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to Visit Barbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler and the number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast as always, from the following on feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk about New Zealand, um, Harmy, for very different reasons. The two men who were probably expected to open the bowling, Kyle, well, no, Carl Jameson wouldn't have opened, would he? But all-rounder Carl Jameson, out of the game for 18 months, came back, played the two-day game against England, but has now been ruled out with what is a suspected occurrence of a a stress fracture of the back, which is devastating for him. And Matt Henry, uh, now he was expected to open the bowling. He's been ruled out um, because he's on paternity leave. And uh, we wish the Henry family all the very best there. But um, Trent Bolt also missing because even though he's available, um, having finished playing in the T20 League in the UAE, the ILT20, um, the New Zealand selectors, understandably, I think, have decided to give preferential treatment to those who play in the domestic season and to those who are nationally contracted. Um, there are a few uh, raised eyebrows, aren't there, lo- around local circles about Trent Bolt's here. He's available. <laughs> he, he's keen to play, but um, they're not going to do that. And he did turn down his national contract. So, yeah, things not going smoothly for the home side. 
No, they're not. Jameson, that's huge. It's you know, forget New Zealand's cricket team. It's it's a huge huge blow for for Kyle himself. You know, the big man. We seen him in Hamilton the other day. Um, he had a yeah, he got a whack in the ribs off Jimmy Anderson. Um, believe it or not, when he was batting, it was great to see him, the big fella back on the field. But unfortunately. If he has got a recurrence of that stress fracture, it's heartbreaking. It really is. It's heartbreaking. We've, we know ourselves. We've just had Joffre Archer out for the best part of eighteen months, and it's a long, long time to be out with you know, one of your players who uh, is a real superstar. And he is Carl Jamieson, a bit like Ollie Robinson, that tall, high release point. You would have loved bone on the surface that we are looking at now, which has not got any less greener since we've been <laughs> rambling on for the last. 45 minutes but he'd, he'd love to have bowled on that so that's a blow Matt Henry yes uh, it's it's a you know it's a, it's a shame for the New Zealand cricket team but families always come first there's no question whatsoever and I echo what you say wishing them well I just wonder I really do man as I just wonder last night did the selectors think right pick Trent Bolt pick Trent Bolt we've got no option we've got to we've got to go back to him I can see what they're trying to do and I fully understand what they're trying to do but if Trembolt doesn't play in this test match I think his test career is over the selectors have said it it's over if they're not going to pick him when you are now you're not threadbare because Duffy's got the leading wicket taker in, in, the, in, in the country at this minute in time so they're picking somebody in form but Duffy Bolt I know who I'd rather face if I was Zach Crowley or Ben Duckett when it comes to it. So, But I wonder last night how close the selectors were to go. You know what? Let's forget that he is available. He's been playing in, in 2024, Matt. A phone call to Trembold. Are you f- wanting to play? Are you fit to play? If he said in the positive, I think I would have picked him. We haven't mentioned Neil Wagner. I mean, we talk about, uh, you know, the Jimmy Anderson's a great one, a fantastic story. But there's a few players um, who would have been regarded as unusually long in the tooth uh, a few years ago. Neil Wagner's almost 37. He's still bowling at 140 kilometres an hour. Yes, and he's somebody that I think New Zealand are going to need. It's going to be so crucial in this series when England are, you know, throwing the bat around and reverse sweeping seamers and. And you know, all the the new sort of way that this positive England cricket team is under Ben Ben Stokes, they're going to need Wagner's aggression. Has he still got that aggression at 37 year old to go for 18, 20 overs in a day at the pace that he has? He's a very very fit man. Um, I know one person who'll be looking at it very closely over these next two test matches, and that'll be Darren Goff. He'll be desperate for Wagner to steer injury-free, not bowl as many overs, and be ready for the Yorkshire stint when it comes in, in April, May, and I think in early June that Wagner goes over to, to the White Rose. Um, he's going to be crucial for Tim Southey because the experience that both Wagner and Southey have got now without... Even though Jamison's still a young man, he's played a bit of cricket. Henry played a lot of cricket, and Bolt, arguably the, one of the greatest seamers that New Zealand have ever had, not playing. I think Neil Wagner is a, is a key figure in this game. If he bowls well, New Zealand stand a chance. England might see it the other way, that he's aggression, he's pierce, they might go after him with what is very inexperienced backup, um, and not much other pace that's on on show I think England might think this if we take Wagner down then you know where do New Zealand go from there which leads on a 
very nicely. Um, happy accident. Um, to my next question to you, which was, we're familiar with how a batting side will strategize in a one-day game, a 20-over game or a, or a 50-over game, in terms of which bowler they might target. Are this England team doing that in Test cricket? So, let's say Blair Tickner, who's made an inauspicious start for his New Zealand career in white ball cricket... Let's say, let's say he's brought in and they play the extra bowler and, and somebody like Blair Tickner, who's inexperienced, not particularly quick and vulnerable. Would the England team in the test format target an individual? Yeah, I think they would. I think, well, the ta- to be honest, to target everybody that were the seven and a half and over that did in Pakistan. But I think they were calculated in Pakistan. They went at the right bowlers at the right time. But I look at this New Zealand side now, I'm sure they'll respect... Tim Southey I think they'll go after the pace of Neil Wagner whichever other bowlers they play, play whether it's Tickner whether it's Duffy they'll fancy their chances at, at going at their 130 kilometre an hour um, and Michael Bracewell well he's more of a part time off spinner rather than a, a full time than a, sort of than a Jack Leach type full time bowler um, and I can see England really targeting him so the captain will be put under pressure possibly not when he's bowling but definitely when he's when he's got his captain's hat on I think England will respect Saudi for what he is which is a very very good like Jimmy Anderson yeah, very skillful in and around that off stump area but I think the rest of them I think England might target very quick change in the production plan here because um, Jack Leach was chatting a little bit earlier in the week as well about how his career has been transformed. So a little challenge for our producer Scott Taylor to see whether he can dig out that clip. Here we go. Here's Jack Leach talking about how things have changed for him under the new Stokes McCullum leadership duo. I think I'm getting better. I think um, I'm probably tougher as a as a player um, and really understand my role um, in the team and and. Yeah, probably just loving trying to win games and, you know, there's definitely that team feel. Um, so, yeah, I feel really good out there because I feel like I've got 10 other blokes sort of um, behind me and I feel like everyone might be feeling like that. So that's a good thing and, uh, yeah, it feels feels amazing to be part of. Jack Leach talking about how things have been transformed. We talk about the team going hard, scoring at seven and a half and over. The seamers bowling with five slips in a gully. We don't often talk about Jack Leach, but it's true. Basball, go hard cricket, has also favoured Jack Leach big time. It has, and it, it's favoured him nicely. I watched him bowl, he bowled about 12, 14 overs the other day at Hamilton. He bowled beautifully. Yeah, I had it on a yeah, nice little loop, good pace, landed it perfectly, and then and an interesting one. And, 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 and it is a... It was an interesting article he wrote. I don't know what, what article, who he wrote it with or what it was about. I've seen a passage of it. We all know Jack Leach has got Crohn's um, and it's uh, it's an immune system disease. Um, I've got a, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old nephew who suffers from it as well, Lennon, who had a, he's had a tough time with it. You know, and it's, it's not, a very nice, not a very nice thing to have. And he talked about his stress levels before McCollum and Stokes had the Wrens at this in the national team and he talked about Crohn's is brought on it's not helped by stress and how helped by being under pressure and, and having them them sort of them sort of anxiety feelings um and he says his illness has been a lot better under Brendan McCullum and it, it, I, I was reading this thing and I was thinking he feels a lot more comfortable a lot less stress and it 
he's, he feels a lot better with the, well, obviously the, what he has to do dear to dear dealings with the illness that he's that that he does have. And when I was listening to that, I was like, it's another not not so much another tick in the box for McCullum and Stokes, but it just shows you where that dressing room must be. Yeah, you know, it must be like New Year's Eve every day and now Christmas Day every day in that dressing room where it's come on lads, we're gonna, we're, we've got what pressure have you got on you? If you were playing for England, you enjoy yourself. You know, you're not at home, you're not working a day-to-day job, you're enjoying yourself. And I think Jack has been one of the ones that really benefited from it because the way he let go of the ball now, the way he lands the ball now, the freedom and the, the rhythm that he bowls with... I think is so much more fluid than he ever has been in the, you know, the earlier part of his career. So I think I don't think it's a coincidence. I just think it's the environment that Jack Leach finds himself in where he feels a lot better about himself, which is great to see. And finally, we end this section with uh, a comment from New Zealand head coach Gary Stead. I remember watching him make his debut for New Zealand as a very solid, very steady consistent domestic performer brought in at the top of the order opened the batting and was just was in, in every way unflashy and respectable and, and now here 25 years later he's one of the most respected men in New Zealand cricket modest humble not just respected deeply admired and um, I think uh, and immensely popular I don't think he's probably ever had a bad word to say about anybody but he had some particularly good words to say about England what the each team will have to work out is what becomes really unique to them and, and, and I guess natural for, for the way that they play and I guess it's still to be tested in some conditions whether it is I guess manageable to keep going like that but there's no doubt that what they've done is, is playing with a smile on their face they are trying to play at a rate to put other teams under pressure and I think for the, the teams that their opposition just working out and, and, and I guess counteracting what is it that you're going to do to be able to compete and then hopefully apply pressure back because ultimately that's what test cricket is about is periods of time of, of applying and absorbing pressure um, over five days. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it, just a lovely comparison to the kind of attitude that South Africa maybe arrived with in, in England in the summer where, you know, you had Dean Elgar sort of basically saying, yeah, well, then we'll see where the baseball, we'll see how that goes against us. Whereas you've got Gary Stead saying, it's brilliant. Yeah, and but the thing is, Dean Elgar came with a... I thought he came with an arrogant outlook of, nah, they'll not do it against my bowling attack. I think he wanted to sound like steely determined that, no, they won't do it against us and that. I think it got to him, where on this side of it, they know what Brendan McCullum's like because most of these lot, if they didn't play with him, they'd been, they'd been playing in and around him and Gary Stead has seen the Brendan McCullum outlook probably since he was 18-year-old. So, um, And to be honest... I think probably I think Gary Steadard might have had a, a, some influence on you know, the coaching career of, of Brendan McCullum, a man who seems to be the nicest man in the world, as Gary Stead, mm. um, who has got a, a, a steel streak in him, but he seems as though he enjoys you know, coaching his team in such a relaxed and an, an enjoyable men, mentality and where that um, he gets the best out of his players and that for me is why New Zealand always, even at even at other sports, but they're always there or thereabouts when it comes to tournament play and when it comes to you know big stage and you know big games. This will be a tough series for England. 
it will be a tough series for New Zealand as well um, but the one thing I would say about both coaches are I think they will they'll not ramp up the pressure on their players by their actions I think because of their natural their natural persona they will give the players as much freedom as they possibly can to express and for me that's the best way you get the best out of your your subjects and a reminder you can hear live and exclusive ball by ball commentary of this week's first test between New Zealand and England right here on Talksport 2 from Thursday morning you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me Neil Manthorpe and the former number 1 bowler in the world Steve Harmison Coming up in this section, we'll be speaking to Georgie Heath about uh, the Women's Premier League and uh, the World, uh, the Women's uh, T20 World Cup taking place in South Africa. She's out there um, watching uh, that uh, England's progress and, in fact, the progress of everybody. But uh, before we get to Georgie, let's talk about uh, just quickly the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Um, Harmi, um, Australia absolutely dusted in uh, Nagpur, uh, literally and metaphorically. Uh, that wicket was turning square. I don't know whether they thought they were outsight themselves by all the stories about um, doctoring the pitch that was going on. I don't know whether India encouraged those stories and uh, you know were, made it look like the ground staff were messing around with the pitch when India scored 400, of course. But anyway, a massive amount for Australia to, to consider going into the second test. Yeah, I mean, a huge amount. I think Australia largely beat themselves. They won the toss, batted first. Without Travis Head, their best player, probably in the last 12 months, unfortunately for no Cameron Green, no Mitchell Stark, who will likely come back into the second test match and make them stronger. But they, they seem to go with players, you know, Renshaw and Hanscom that played, who haven't played you know, in, in, in making them a successful side in the past. And when you win the toss and you bat first in, us, in, in India, you've got to cash in. You've got to cash in, as simple as that. You've... England showed when they were there, you know, a couple of years ago, and we you knew, when we had it on Talksport too, that when England won the toss, Joe Root got 100. England won the game. Whenever England batted first after that, didn't score any runs, they lost the game. And to get 177 in the first innings is criminal, and that arguably is why Australia didn't have any sort of foothold in the contest. You can talk about doctor and pitches and everything that went on before that. But you've got to get first innings runs in India, and if you don't, you've got no chance of of winning, and that's what happened. And look at this Australian side. It will get stronger for the next Test match. Cameron Green will come back in. He's now fit. Mitchell Stark, who I think you've seen at the airport in Sydney, will come back in, um, and he'll be fit. That that gives them a, a stronger unit. Will they drop David Warner? I'd be very surprised if they drop David Warner, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, Travis Head comes in for... Possibly Hanscom and Cameron Green will come in for Renshaw in the middle order and that gives them three bowling options, two spin options and a more balanced Australia side going against India in the second test. And just a reminder that uh, you can hear ball-by-ball commentary of that uh, second test match between India and Australia here on TalkSport 2 with coverage beginning straight after our coverage of New Zealand against uh, England. Now, World Cups are always um, career-shaping events for uh, men's and women's cricketers. Um, This has been a particularly transformative week um, for the women's game uh, because apart from the T20 World Cup taking place in South Africa, it was, of course, the inaugural player auction in uh, the WPL, the Women's Premier League, and suffice to say, lives were changed. Let's go to Georgie Heath. New Zealand... Struggle, have struggled. I don't know what 
has happened there, what is going on. There's something that's not on. The likes of Susie Bates, she's on a pair. Do you call it, a, will you call it a pair in a tournament? I'm going to call it, she's on a, she's, yeah, she's got a pair. So that's not gone well. Um, Sophie Devine did actually look heartbroken in her press conference yesterday. Um, England, yeah, going along well. I mean, a bit of a wobble, I would say, against Ireland. They would. I think there'll be things they'll be disappointed about because they did lose those quick wickets and they were only chasing 106. They were sort of trying to get it done quickly and then they were just throwing away wickets at the same time. So I think they'll want to go away and talk about that. I don't really necessarily see it coming down to net run rate, but you can never really be sure and it's not worth throwing away your wicket. And then also, I didn't really know whether they were going to be a bit distracted perhaps with the whole WPL thing going on at the same time. Because at one point, I think I was watching, it shows Heather Knight on the screen. And then I watched my other screen because I had about five going on at once. Watch my other screen and suddenly Heather Knight gets sold. And I was like, does someone come on with the drinks bottle? And at the same time, be like, by the way, you've just been bought. I'm not sure. Definitely distraction there. Something that wasn't really thought through, but who knows? I can't really speak for the organisers because, you know, it's not my it's not my area of expertise, organisation. So that was down to them, but a strange one. Um, Australia looked absolutely like phenomenal when they played the other day. Ash Gardner with that five. Uh, I thought perhaps New Zealand might be in it at one point, which is weird to say something like a 140 is you could be in this. But against Australia, that was a great score to restrict them to as such which is such a weird thing to say so not sure on that one but I have been mighty mighty impressed by Sri Lanka who obviously shocked South Africa in the first game and then came back I was such a good game against Bangladesh I find in tournaments like this I get really into games that I just would never have expected and I actually went to a spin class and I had it on my phone at the same time and I was like I can't miss this but I've got to you know I'm, I'm trying to double double up in my life at the moment and that was phenomenal that game but I also think maybe I'm just a massive loser but who knows so yeah everyone's interesting it's nice to see Ireland in there and actually the likes of Gabby Lewis she was going along well um Mary Waldron became the most capped Ireland player in the same game so it's it's historic for Ireland they obviously weren't in the last tournament but I don't really still at the moment see past Australia prior to the tournament I would have been like England are right up there they're they're not quite hit their straps yet maybe that's a good thing they still won both their games but there's a few things they need to work on although we can't really ignore that innings from Alice Capsey yesterday which was absolutely stunning she's 18 I forget this because it feels like she's been around forever but she is 10 years younger than I am and she's absolutely bossing it she then also got sold to the WPL she's also casually got a metal plate and like seven screws in her shoulder from when she broke her collarbone or whichever part of her anatomy in December. So she's going along quite well. And I really have a soft spot for Sarah Glenn as a bowler. And I think she's, we almost underrate her because we have Sophie Eccleston, who is phenomenal, best bowler in the world, a spinner. But I think that Sarah Glenn if she can perform well throughout this tournament, will be a really, really big part of England's potentially victory campaign, if they can be. (laughs) So, yeah, I think Sarah Glenn is really key. And um, she was great yesterday. Sophie Huxton was great. And they seem to have, they seem to be enjoying themselves, which is always key because you're all out there together for such a long time. There's going to be ups and downs. You're going to have people selling 
people not to the WPL just casually on top of everything. So it's going to be an interesting one, but I, I'm confident. Okay. Well, as I said, um, we'll be keeping right on top of things um, at the World Cup. So just going back to the Women's um, Premier League, uh, 14 Australians sold, um, obviously the best um, of the rest, and lots of lots of Indian players, obviously, and that makes cricketing and commercial sense. Um, the very best players from the other teams, um, the best England players were sold, although there were a few that were unsold, which were eye-catching. And, um, yeah, it just seems very Australia-India heavy, and a few of South Africa's best players also not sold. The best were sold. But it's um, just give us a snapshot, your sort of overall impression. There were some big numbers as well, weren't there? I mean, like totally life changing. Yeah, I mean, they started, you know, lot one, Riti Mandana. We're going to start with the big one, which was the one that everyone was talking about beforehand. And so then she goes for 340 lakh off the bat, literally first person. And I was like, there is going to be some huge money in this. And I was sort of trying to watch the live stream. It's a strange thing to watch. I still can't quite get my head around literally auctioning people it's very odd I would prefer it to be called a draft but I'd one day I'll just be more normal about it I don't know but that was phenomenal and then we saw obviously um Sophie Eccleston went for quite big numbers and then it was Nat Siverbrunt at 320 was she was the second highest of everyone I think and it's not surprising to be honest you know she is ICC player of the year last year Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy so you can't really be surprised that she went for such big money. But I think what I quite like about the tournament is that they, they're looking to the youth. So obviously we think of someone like um, Catherine Siverbrunt, you know, we're like, wow, one of the best players we've seen, this, that and the other. But she is towards that end of her career. And you think that some of these teams are investing in the youngsters. We've seen some of the girls from... The under-19 World Cup, the likes of uh, Shweta Serowat, who was part of that victorious Indian team in the under-19 World Cup, she is part of this WPL. And I think for youngsters like that, it is life-changing. Some of the money's life-changing for anyone, like Nat Siverbrunt. Don't know how she can walk. She's got so much money in her pocket now. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and I think it's exciting for the youngsters. And then the likes of Capsi got picked up. Izzy Wong, who hasn't been selected for this full England squad. She was out there before the tournament, so she's part of it. And I think it's a good investment in the future and that side, and then also the likes of being, you know, mentored by, I would imagine, someone like Smriti Mandana is going to captain her side. So having that sort of brushing shoulders with the big dogs at the same time as developing while also earning a hell of a lot of money at the same time. And I think they're quite good fun, these tournaments. They do all get to know each other very well, which does make it more enjoyable because then they spend a lot of their time of the year with these players from all over other countries. So it is quite a quite a unifying thing at the same time. And as much as I say, I don't like to see people being sold and this, that and the other. It, it was very exciting at times when, yeah, and it is quite exciting. It's far more exciting than watching Flog It. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Georgie Heath. Um, fascinating stuff. And we'll keep, obviously, um, all over the coverage as uh, the Women's T20 World Cup pro- progresses. Uh, Harmy, just a couple of minutes left, as always. Far too much to fit in. Owen Morgan announces his retirement from all cricket. I'd like to talk to you about the county championship as well. And um, if we have time, maybe even Tagnarine Chanderpool. But let's um, begin with uh, with Owen Morgan eventually saying that um, 
The journey has come to an end. Yeah, I'm surprised he carried on after um, he announced his international retirement. Probably the character and the man he is, he, he, he probably thought, I've, I've signed these contracts to play franchise cricket. Um, I'm going to honour them because I'm an honourable person. He's a great man, is Owen Morgan. Um, and we've spoke a lot on the breakfast show and on following on and on the Critic Collective over the course of the last six months about the greatness of, of Owen Morgan. I don't think we really appreciated him until he he finally uh, finally um, hangs up the uh, hangs up his boots. We're going to see a lot more of him in obviously in the commentary box, um, but some of the players. Uh, very very thankful for the impact that he had on English cricket because he took a punt he's a gambler he loves his horses he's a gambler he took a punt in 2015 to say to likes of Jimmy Anderson Stuart Broad Sir Alistair Cook um, you're not one day national players you're not one day players you're not white ball players um, anymore we're going to pick players who can attack this game um, and there probably eyebrows red, um, raised when he did that and between 20, sort of 2016, 2017, there were a few bumps in the road. But from 2017 to 2019, he built a group that took the game away from everybody else in white ball cricket, culminating with probably the, 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 one of the greatest achievements any England captain's had, which is to lift the World Cup. So congratulations, Owen, on a wonderful career. His numbers will speak for themselves. I think over 10,000 international runs. But I think his leadership legacy will be the one that will live on for many, many years to come. County Championships tweaked its uh, points scoring system for the 10th time in my lifetime. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We're going from eight points a draw to five points a draw. Um, obviously, more chances. They're trying to get it to play a more positive brand of cricket. I think the jury's still out on that. We're going back to the old old uh, system. If you take points away from a draw, you're going to end up pitches like what we're seeing right now in Mount Monganui. And that and the only reason the pitch at Mount Monganui is as green as it is is because we've had a cyclone, Gabriel and uh, Gabriel, sorry, and we've had rain for the last five days. We go back to 70 mile an hour bowlers, just landing it because results are more important. There's more points for results. I think they could have done it a little bit different, but we all think that when rules are changing. Um, if you wanted to make it more positive, yeah, you could you could say you could ramp up the bonus points um, for scoring runs quicker rather than taking the draw away. For me, if you don't, if you can't win, if you can't win the game, then don't lose the game. That is still for me as a positive outcome. Um, and you you could give more bonus points for the quicker you get to certain number of runs, rather than just say we're taking. I mean, it's only going to be five points for a draw. Well, let's see what happens. But I fear, I really do fear that we're going to go back to the old day pitches, where we literally we are marking 22 yards out from the outfield, and the likes of no disrespect to the likes of Darren Stevens, but a 70 mile an hour bowler taking 50, 60 wickets a year. For me, that's no, that's not, that's not cricket. And finally, Gary Balance scored 100 on his return to Test cricket with Zimbabwe, the country of his birth, and Tagenrein Chanderpool made a double 100, um, which made you smile. It did, it made, me, it made me chuckle. I'm pleased for Gary, I really am. He's gone back to his native homeland, he's got a 100, he's a wonderful player, Gary. Um, I like the guy as a person, I spent a bit of time with him when I played with him, and I hope he, he finds happiness in back in Zimbabwe. And Tagenrein... Chanderpaul, my old mate Shiv Narain, one of the greatest cricketers I've ever played with. 
and uh, I imagine the conversation going back. Dad, what was your highest score? <laughs> 203 well I'm just getting 205 I'm 206 I think it was in in my fourth ever test match I'm sure Shiv will turn around and chuck it back at him but I played 155 160 test matches let's see how many test matches you play son so it'll be an interesting conversation between Shiv Narayan and Tag Narayan but the one thing I'm chuffed to bits to see is that little young kid that came to you know that was you know he was I think he was just about the time he was born around when Shiv Narayan was at Durham um, going on to follow his father's footsteps good on you son and keep it going and finally after tours to the Caribbean the Sri Lanka and South Africa with uh, Talk Sport Covid kept us in the studio for a couple of years but uh, how good to be back on the road brilliant to be back on the road and I can't wait to bring you all ball by ball coverage of the New Zealand versus England two test matches you know, picturesque Mount Monganui at the minute, at the moment. Then on to Wellington. I think it's going to be a fascinating series. Disappointing that New Zealand aren't going to be at full strength. England won't mind. Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum's roadshow bangs on, and me, you, Manners. John Norman, Mike Atherton, Jacob Oram, and many more will bang on trying to give you the best coverage possible. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the great Harmy. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. So we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at this first test match between New Zealand and England. Every ball, live and exclusive, here on TalkSport 2. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 